Do, 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 do. Here we go. My name is Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to yet another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number, can you guess, sweetheart? Mm-mm. 380. That Good. means we have 20 more before the big 400. Oh, yeah, yeah. Another, another milestone. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I think of 400, I think of batting 400. And I think the last player to bat 400, do you know what it means to bat 400? Uh-huh was not Pete Rose, might have been Ty Cobb. I don't know. I could be dating myself. Wow, that's way long ago. Yes, yes. But I could be wrong, and the baseball freaks out there would probably say, no, duh, Todd, it's this person. Duh. Yeah, so anyways. So um, what is our motto? The motto is our be- the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. And always remember that the best predictor of a child's well-being, I just said that. <laughs> Oh, why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And that might be the phrase on our T-shirts, our next set of T-shirts. Maybe. I actually like the other one better. Own it? Yeah. I think I like that too. Because feel outstanding is great, but I, and maybe that would. It's um, just too many letters to put on a shirt, or maybe it's not. We'll see. Well, feel outstanding feels really good, but there's something about own it that there, our friend Chris was telling us that the best kind of lead-ins are sentences that people don't fully understand, understand because then they'll ask a question. Right. So if you see a shirt that says own it. Um, own what? Own what? And that's the beauty of own it is that it's not just one thing. Nice. I'm glad that you're on board with that one. Yeah. Sweet. Um, so, um, sweetie, I'm going to kind of turn it over to you and okay. give a summary or, or say where we're going with this podcast today. Okay. So um, I just wanted to share, for those of you who did not know, um, that my father passed away um, a week ago, Friday. So mm-hmm. 10 days ago? Uh, about 10 days ago. Yeah, about 10 days ago. And I did post it on our page and many of you commented and I appreciate that very much. Um, I read them all and I appreciate all your emails and notes. Um, so I just wanted you to know that I kind of, uh, laid low for about seven days on purpose. Um, I, you know, I check social networking occasionally, but I kind of just didn't do work on purpose. And I want to say that, One thing I learned from that experience is it's very hard for other people to stop. And I had the experience of um, knowing that obviously I had to deal with my own grief and be with my family and handle just what needed to be handled when you're leading up to a wake and someone passing away. And I, you know, would send out emails saying, you know, I'm just going to take some time. Sure. And some people were great about it, but there are some people who are like, well, I'm so glad. Now, can you send me this? Yeah. Yes, but. <laughs> yes, but. And, you know, and I realized two things. Number one, that um, that, that was challenging for me and that I really appreciate the, the Jewish tradition um, it, of sitting Shiva. You know, like for a week, you actually don't do anything. Is that the deal? I don't yeah. know. Is it for a whole week? I you... think so. I okay. think it's seven days. And for those of you who do that, you know, maybe you can let me know. I didn't go and read about it. I've just known that. And there's something very important about that. Sure. Um, and at the same time, I understand that my loss is not everybody's loss, even though it feels like it inside. Right. Um, that other, you know, I kept telling Todd about the, uh, for those of you who have seen four weddings and a funeral, there's a poem um, that this guy reads um, when his partner passes away. I I don't want you to play it if you're going to play it. Okay. No, because it's too, it's very long and it's really about his partner and it's, it doesn't quite fit. Got it. Todd was looking it up. That's why I said that to him. But the first sentence of it means something to me. I think it's by W.L. Auden and the, it is stop the clocks, Mm. stop the cars. You know, this person has passed away and, um, and that's what happens for us internally, mm-hmm. but that's not happening everywhere, you know, and it's just about, it's like when we're having these things go on in our world where there's these attacks or people are killed or there's an accident and the people around that person, their whole world stops, yeah. but the world doesn't stop moving. So the thing is, is it's the paradox, just like always, like I really knew I needed to stop, um, but I also had to be understanding 
of that the world doesn't stop. And so they both have to go hand in hand. Well, and I remember, this is back when my stepdad was sick, geez, 15 years ago, I would go to like McDonald's and I was so, he was dying basically. And I was so overcome with grief and I would get um, mad at the people laughing at McDonald's. Yeah, like, don't you know? Like they don't have any idea what it is that I'm going through in this moment. Right. So I kind of feel like that is related to Stop the Clock. Absolutely. And I also want to say that just because I took seven days off doesn't mean like, oh, good, now I'm all right. No, right. It, it, it's just that eventually you have to make a point to rejoin your world. Mm. And what that means is you have to be able to say to people you work with, I will show up to this. Or, um, you know, say to someone that I owe them something, I will complete this for you. And so the seven days is not a, okay, now grief is over. The seven days is this is what I'm going to take for myself. And then I will slowly rejoin life. Transition. Transition. And, and I'm going to go back and forth. You know, I, um, I was pretty good last night and today I'm not as Mm -hmm. good. And, you know, it just, that is the way uh, that it goes. And I expected that. But even with all the knowledge that I have and how I help other people through their grief, it um, that doesn't keep me from struggling with my own. Knowledge is very different than practice. No um, kidding. And it is, uh, it is. I have to experience it. And the thing that I knew that my father was uh, was dying. He has been for a while. And I, the kind of thing I learned through my own therapy and through Todd and I talking is. I had to just go through it, mm-hmm. that we don't get to like go around it. We don't go over it. We don't just say, oh, I'm already over it because I knew this was going to happen. You literally walk through it. And sometimes it's very rainy and heavy and overwhelming. And you just bring your tools with you. You know, you walk through it with all the supports that you have and use your tools and don't expect it to be simple and don't expect it to be overwhelming. Well, and by going through it, that's really the healthiest way. That was your healthiest way of going. Yes. Um, experiencing it. And I think a lot of us sometimes want to avoid it. So we go around it. And I think, you know, to try to pull maybe some some teaching or some lessons out of this uh, experience that you have with your dad is, you know, sometimes you just have to go through it. There's no other choice. In it, like, to, I'll use your word, the healthiest experience, there's no other choice. Yeah. People choose other paths. Correct. And, but they end up having to come back around to it eventually, yeah. or it leaks through into other aspects of their life because they decide to suppress it, repress it, pretend it, pretend that, you know, decide to like move on the next day, or mm-hmm. I have to get back to work. And they never, they never quite feel everything they need to feel. And then there's also the waves of, okay, now I'm feeling okay. So what does that mean? Right. And then 12 hours later, okay, now I'm not feeling okay. So what does that mean? It All it means is that's that's what grief is. That's And, and I'm very thankful that I do understand that and know that. I'm very thankful that that is something my knowledge does help me with is it doesn't scare me, but it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in uh, option B, one of the things Sheryl Sandberg said is that grief feels a lot like fear. And I, I agree because there's this like uncomfortable fear with grief. Like it's almost like you see things differently and you're not sure what could happen next or will this pain get worse or what if something it's a it's they're very closely connected um, and fear tends to feel or evolve into worry. And then so grief, fear and worry kind of join hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go on this right. Let's together. go on this right together. And it's very challenging. The but is, the practice is recognizing that, that they are all kind of working in unison and you don't have to follow them. Mm-hmm. You're going to feel them, but I'm not going to follow them down the path because the the ability to not get too, I get, I follow them partway down the path and then I kind of, you know, bring myself back because peace comes from recognizing that none of them are necessarily true Mm -hmm. and that they all won't be around forever and that they come and go. And so they're not the truth with a capital T. They're just a momentary, it's just a a rush of emotion. But I think it's important for me to understand that when I'm feeling afraid, that's part of grief too. And when I'm getting worried about things that have nothing to do with this, with my dad's passing, I think they're still connected to his passing. Mm -hmm. I think that when your world gets shaken up or when you've experienced something significant, everything feels unsteady. So a lot of times we'll say, well, what does that have to do with that? It doesn't have to be a straight line. It's just your innards aren't quite calm. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if we can go back just a little bit. Your dad has been sick for a, a long time and obviously he got more and more sick. 
And I don't know if you want to talk about this, but, you know, it would have been very easy for you to be kind of leveled from sadness and fear while just over the last few months. And while there were moments where you certainly felt like you got floored, you know, you got punched in the gut, you still had the capacity to um, persevere through it. And I just wonder if you want to talk a little bit about that because you'd go visit him three or four times a week or whatever it was. And it usually was bookended by some anxiety in the big, you know, on your way out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, sadness, frustration, anger on the way back. But then you did kind of put your socks back on the next day and you kept on living. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just everything you said is true, but I will take note with the word. There was an anger. Mm. I didn't have anger. Okay. I I had sadness. I had frustration and I didn't like to see him suffer. But I don't I don't recall feeling anger Mm. because there's, you know, I mean. Maybe just at the situation. At the situation, right? okay, I hear that. That's okay. So, f- very briefly, because I don't want to spend all my time, you know, or, or our time, like explaining this whole thing. But so, very briefly, um, about in 1999, about 17 years ago, my dad uh, had a heart attack, and he ended up going, um, being taken to the hospital. And while he was on the the table, meaning they had to open him up because, you know, they knew his heart was not working well. He had a stroke and he also then had quadruple bypass surgery. So a heart attack, actually two heart attacks, a heart attack on the way there, a heart attack on the table, a stroke and um, quadruple Mm -hmm. bypass surgery. Many of you listening may say, how did he survive? We have no idea. Not quite sure about that. We were told that that night, so just a little side note, because you guys know me, um, Todd and I had just started dating and my friend Jessica and Todd were with me when I got this news and they drove me out to the hospital in Rockford, Illinois. And that was the first time that Todd had ever met my mother. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it wasn't under great circumstances, right? And um, so anyway, that night they told us my dad would not live. um, And so we were prepping for that. And that was horrible and shocking. And, you know, I was only 27 and my sister was pregnant with her second child and my mom and dad were about to have a pretty significant anniversary. He was only 60. Um, And so the good news is jumping ahead, he survived and he lived in the ICU for about three months. Um, we lived there with him. Basically, I my sister quit her job. I quit my job. Um, I started going to f- school full time or actually I started after that summer. So our whole lives changed because we were there. Mm-hmm. And um, we ended up, he he got out of the ICU. He got better over time. He went into rehab. Um, that was very challenging for him. Uh, he didn't have, he struggled with something called aphasia, which is something that happens after a stroke, very common after a stroke where he could not recall words any, anymore, meaning mentally he was 100% there, but he couldn't pull up a word. Now, I've been telling my dad for the last year how much I can relate to him because I now have that problem where I know a word I want to use and I can't find it. I can't pull it up so I can feel the energy of the word. I know what I want to say, but I can't find it. Well, and as a bystander to seeing somebody suffer from aphasia, unless you understand it, it's very easy to be like, oh, he's losing it. Right. He was never losing no, it. No, he wasn't. He understood exactly what was going on. His brain just didn't give him the ability to bring up a word. Right. And I can't imagine how frustrated, you know, we get frustrated when we can't think of something. I know. That was his life for a long time. Well, because then, because of his age... And because he couldn't speak very well, everybody thought he was either deaf and they would yell things at him or they would speak very, very slow and treat him like a child. And here's a man who's very highly educated. He's a teacher himself and a very uh, visionary in his own right. And that was very hard. But you wouldn't have known it because he sure didn't. I mean, he would get frustrated occasionally, but he never talked down to people. And he was able to learn how to tell people, I've had a stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the first things he learned in therapy, in, um, right, in speech therapy. Because how many words did he have? Uh, when he first came out, he had of ICU, he had three words. Uh, he could say units, um, programs, and chemicals. Okay. And what were chemicals? Chemicals was medicine, usually. Like he, he didn't, you know, his meds. And what were units? Uh, units were anything that were like a, like <laughs> a group a, of structure of yeah. some kind like because my sister was saying he would sometimes talk about his legs and call them units yeah. and then programs was like putting something together yeah. so for a long time it was we all kind of had to use those words to communicate right because again you guys he was 100% like he wasn't like 
he hadn't lost his ability to think. Mm-hmm. He just couldn't do output. Yeah. So input could come in. He could, in an essence, come up with what he wanted to say, but those are the only three words that came out. Mm-hmm. So over time, speech therapy, he he got back words. And if you guys would have met him in the last, I don't know, you know, in the, over the last 17 years, he would have been able to have a conversation with yeah. you. Sometimes people didn't even know. So he- Especially when he's talking about something that he knew, knew in his cellular memory yes. when, he st- when he would talk about his job and right. things like that. My sister just told me like, yeah, I remember having this really awesome conversation and he didn't stutter. He didn't have to stop to recall a word. Like he owned, he knew it. Because he was completely out of his head yeah. and he was in his body. So yeah. his it was almost like a very natural, because that's the thing is that's how people would often get him talking is tell me about what you did for a living. And I wanted to share a little bit about what my dad did for a living very simply because there's a lot of people at the wake. I, I actually did his eulogy and who said, oh, now I understand why you do what you do. And I hadn't really <laughs> made that connection. Um, but my dad was, like I said, a, ta- a teacher. He became a counselor and then he became an administrator and he created two pretty significant programs. Uh, one of them was called the, it really doesn't matter. It was an, it was called the Kishwaukee Education Consortium. And the whole thing was around getting high school students to be able to go to school to get college credit um, from the community college in town and also study it while studying a trade. Because what he recognized is that, yes, we could send kids to four-year schools. And that was great. And he sent my sister and I to a four-year school. And he was uh, you know, master's level educated, but he also knew that there was a lot of other people who had so many, you know, had something huge to offer, but maybe a four-year school wasn't what wasn't they a were good meant fit. to do. Right. And so it was trade. It was vocational. It was, you know, beautician. It was carpenter. It was plumbing. It was nursing. It was, and you know, and again, nursing often requires a four-year school later on. My point is, is that he created this pathway for kids who didn't have a pathway, and it is still totally thriving today. And I heard from so many people after he passed away, um, telling me how much this program has affected their lives. Even today, like I had a girlfriend who her son who was struggling with regular, you know, with classes and with grades, he got into this program and studied fire science and has been doing extraordinarily well and finally feels confident. So, And your friend didn't even know that your dad started no, that. <laughs> he didn't. She read the obituary and she's like, your dad started the KEC. So stop there. So talk about ripples and right. long lasting, you know, what do you do in this world? You want to make the world a better place. And right. this is a direct evidence on how your dad did that. And you want to see people people in their strengths. That's something he came from a really small town, Danville, uh, Westville, Illinois, Central Illinois, and not a lot of people from his high school went away to school. And even when he did get the opportunity to go to way to go away to school, which was really touch and go for a while, once he got to college, it was so hard for him. He, uh, my mom told me um, not too long ago that he had to have some remediation mm-hmm. when he got to college because he didn't really get what he needed from high school, but he was never dumb. Mm-hmm. And so you guys can probably understand a little bit why I teach these things. Like he was so smart and he was so good to people and he had so many good ideas, but sometimes you have to have different paths and different ways and different opportunities and different people looking out for you to make sure that you can chart that course. And that's what he did for himself. And then he did as a teacher and then he did as a counselor and then eventually as an administrator. He also ran this program called the Migrant Program. And I taught in the Migrant Program with my dad for about four or five years. I was so lucky to do that. And basically it was for families who were basically, they traveled around to work, uh, you know, 100% uh, Latino families. Mm-hmm. We, at, at that time, we used the word Hispanic, right. which is still around, but it, that word has evolved into Latino. Um, and it was families who were seasonal workers. And so I grew up in DeKalb. There were a lot of cornfields and that's where a lot of the families ended up in the summer. Well, their children needed a place to be. So my dad had this program. It was a summer program for kids to go to school. And I taught uh, kindergarten. I taught fifth grade. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. And he loved these families. I mean, like he just found them to be so inspiring and full of pride and full of willingness to do hard work. And I definitely inherited that, meaning that understanding. You know, I teach at Dominican University and uh, I would say you know, three-fourths of my class um, are children of uh, immigrants, and um, majority of them are 
their background, their, their families come from Mexico. And I have, I feel such an, a, a connection um, with who they are and what their families, you know, represent and the pride that they have. And so that's always been very meaningful to me. Um, but anyway, he, again, another pathway for families, right? And I just really, I Googled his name and I Googled the migrant program just to read a little bit about what he did. I remember it, but obviously I don't remember every aspect. And, you know, it's just so cool. Like he created things like um, uh, every Friday there would be a field trip because these kids often hadn't experienced things like going to a movie theater mm. or, um, you know, he would take them in Chicago so they could see the fountain because they hadn't been in the city yet. Or he would take the older kids in high school to Northern Illinois University that was in my town so they could experience a college class. Yeah. Because, you know, and he, that was part of his planning. Like if you expose people and you give them an opportunity and tell them this is possible, they will follow it. See it to be it. See it to be it. Proximity. So so anyway, that was just, I wanted to, you know, sing his praises a little bit as an educator because he also told me, create your own thing. And that's definitely what Todd and I have done. Um, He said, obviously do the education thing, get experience, do your due diligence. He wasn't like skip over those those things. But once you have the information you want, create something. Mm. And um, that's because then you'll have fun because you should love your job. And he loved his job and he would always take everyone out to lunch and they'd play a lot and they'd have a good time and they'd spend time together. Work hard, play hard. Work hard, play hard. So that's his background. So I just wanted to share a few things, very interesting things that I think Todd and I can have a back and forth conversation about that my dad taught me. I'm not going to go through my whole eulogy because it was long, but a few things. Long and awesome, sweetie. Oh, thank you. Um, was cultural literacy. Do you remember when I talked about that? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. So I use those two words a lot and I got them from my dad. He's been talking to me about cultural literacy since I was in high school. And basically what cultural literacy is, is have an understanding of your own culture and why people say the things they do, um, why people act the way they do, and also have an understanding of other people's culture. But starting with our own culture, one he wanted me to understand when people would throw out a comment what it came from. Like, you know how people sometimes throw out a quote from, you know, Shakespeare? Sure. They'll be like, you know, I'm trying to think of something really famous. Um, I had to memorize a few things from Hamlet, but they're not coming to me right now. So someone will throw out like a quote from Hamlet. And if you don't know Hamlet, you're not going to understand what that person is saying. Or, you know, if you don't, if someone says, well, you know, that was pretty good, but it's not like John and Paul wrote it. Well, what does that mean? Right. Who are John and Paul? Well, obviously we know they're from the Beatles, but cultural literacy is understanding those kind of commentary, that kind of commentary. And the only way to understand all that is through education, which is formal, Mm -hmm. but also through your own education, reading, um, paying attention to what's going on in the world, entertainment, news, politics, be engaged. Um, So, you know, I, one of the stories that I told was, that he would always, you know, going back to John and Paul, he would really like make sure I knew who the four Beatles were. Right. He's like, you can't go out into the world and not know who the Beatles so are. There's a certain baseline that your dad had saying, my daughters are going to know very basic things. Yes. And I'm going to make sure of it. Yes. And we're not talking about quadratic equations. We're no. talking about who are the four Beatles. Exactly. It was never about impressing people with your knowledge. Yeah. It was about being able to engage with other people about things that could really fly over your head mm-hmm. if you didn't have some basic understanding. Right. And, you know, there's no way to know everything, but I definitely went down that path of entertainment. Sure. That's for sure. Yeah. You got that locked and loaded, sweetheart. <laughs> No problems there. But then he also taught you stuff like uh, checking your oil and changing tires. Right. Right? That's the thing is, well, and before I get on that, I was going to say the other thing about cultural literacy is understanding other people, is that one of the things he said to me before I went to college was, you're not going to college just to get your degree. You're not going there to say, oh, you know, to get A's all the time. You're going there to experience other people. You're going there to live with other people for the first time. You're going there to have failures. You're going there to to become more culturally yeah, literate. Because you were plopped in a school where there's a lot of people with a lot of different backgrounds yes. and it had nothing to do with professors in your classrooms. Yes. And the goal was not to become like them or have them become like you. It was to find the similarities in everybody. Mm-hmm. Learn how to acclimate yourself to situations, not to become them, but to acclimate yourself. And so aren't we doing that all the time, really? Hopefully. 
Yes. Right? Yes. That's our goal is to understand one another, not necessarily to be like one another. And that's the thing. You know, I was listening to uh, an old interview with um, uh, Jonathan Fields. Uh, he was interviewing Tim Ferriss, which I know you've been talking about Tim Ferriss a lot lately, Todd. And one of the things that Tim Ferriss was saying, that I'm like, this is so true, is there's a lot of people who now pride themselves on being nonconformists. You know, I'm not going to conform to right. this. I am going to go this other way. It's fashionable. But they they start to do something like paleo or CrossFit, and they become just as conforming to that, yeah. but then call themselves nonconformists. Now, there's nothing wrong, or conscious parenting, mm -hmm. or, you know you know, attachment parenting, or we become like, it becomes a dogma. Mm -hmm. What you were going to say something, I was talking over you. No, no. I mean, it's just one of those things, like, even if you do stretch out and you go against uh, the grain or swim upstream, there's a lot of people that are swimming upstream along with you. So yes. it's not like, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm not conforming to uh, everybody. Well, odds are you are probably conforming to somebody. So it's not like, I'm better than you. And a lot of people right. use it as a crutch as, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm doing something much different than you are when odds are you're probably not that much different than many other people doing the same thing. Correct. And it's and it's and both because it's good to find a new group because what is the what do all human beings want? They want to belong. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can't if you are going to nonconform, you still need to find other people to belong with, meaning if you're like, okay, I'm not going to do this path that everyone's taught me. Well, you still need people to hang with. It reminds me of a documentary or whatever, some 60 Minutes thing I saw like decades ago, but it was about the Grateful Dead and how the deadheads are, you know, they kind of... They're uh, nonconformists. Yeah. And like they're, you know, 60s and flower power and all that and love everybody. And there's a few people that showed up as punk rockers, you know, like with the long sure, mohawk sure. and everything. And the, you know, God bless all deadheads out there, but the punk rockers felt ostracized within that very, quote unquote, loving community. Correct. You know, And that is, so this is not a judgment. This is an awareness is if you have found another path, which is great. There's nothing, that is not a problem. Are you aware of the club you're in? Mm. Because the lack of awareness is what causes a problem. And that's what Tim Ferriss was talking about is these people who join these like groups and there may be many different groups. If they aren't aware they're in it, mm -hmm. then they're going to be become judgmental of other people rather than become aware what they're in and aware that there may be new rules to follow sure. and they may follow them, they may not. My point is, is, is don't just keep jumping from one and he even, he uses, uses more of a harsh word. He's like, they become cult-like. Yeah. Um, and just be aware of where you are. Like one thing, like you and I are definitely people who believe in, um, you know, self-aware parenting, conscious parenting, you know, attachment parenting, all these things. But there's lots of room to breathe in there because you can end up just following this path and being like, this is the only way and you have to follow these people and this is the only thing you can do. And I don't believe that at all. No, we don't have any guru, nor do we want to be gurus. We, we, we pick and choose teachings from everywhere. Everywhere. And that you can still, but that doesn't keep me from believing in the importance of this message. Yeah. It just means this message is expanding and growing and and not getting my life smaller. Yeah. It's getting my life bigger. Yeah. And I also don't feel judgmental of someone who doesn't choose the language self-aware parenting or someone who questions me and says, you know, that doesn't work for me. Okay. Pick your own. Pick, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Whatever works for you. And, and if you have questions, let's have a conversation. Or if I have questions, can I ask you? Like, this is not about having everybody follow one thing. Yeah. It's about, are we conscious of what we're doing? And, you know, so everyone's like, well, then that's chaotic. Well, the bottom line is, are we good to ourselves? Are we good to others? Are we giving to the world? Are, are we creating more goodness? Are we connecting to each other? Sure. If those are the things that we're doing. Yep. Then, we're golden. Then we're golden, you know, then then take your own path to that that middle place. So again, that's all around cultural literacy is understanding who you are in that environment, who other people are, and that everybody has reasons. Like my dad, he couldn't bring himself to watch the news for the last month because he's a he's a very 
very liberal-minded man, and sure. he really wanted everyone to get a chance, and he really believes in a lot of um, making sure that people are taken care of. So it's been things have been difficult for him lately in the news. So he completely stopped watching that, and um, he start he was always watching Swamp People mm. when I got to his room. So what is Swamp People? Because I know you <laughs> talked about the eulogy. I've never seen Swamp People. Swamp People is these is I I only watched some of it with him because usually once I got there he would turn it down and we would hang out, but. He, it's like these people who they – I can't even remember where they live. Maybe Louisiana because okay. we would talk about New Orleans all the time. And they would – they like, you know, work with alligators. And I don't know if they use them, if they fish for them and then use them and sell them. I don't know. Okay. But my dad would watch it and I would say, Dad – because for a while there he was like incorporating the alligators into his dreams. By the and, way, I don't think we fish for alligators. I think we hunt for them, but well, go ahead. That's the thing is like I feel like an <laughs> idiot because I don't really know. But I would ask him questions and he's like, Kathy, the reason I watch these shows is I want to understand other people. Mm-hmm. I want to understand what does someone in New Orleans need to do? I want to understand what is someone in a country, you know, across the world, what do they need to do to survive? And what is their motivation? And again, he couldn't speak this eloquently all the time. That's but- what, yeah, that's what you got out of it. My question is, so why did you, out of the million things that your dad has said to you, why did that... Um- why did you hold that in such a high regard? Why did the swamp people? Yeah, well, why did that affect you when your dad said that? Like because that's what we should all be doing, and you don't have to watch that show, and you don't have to get it from TV. But the whole point of life is to understand why other people do what they do, where they come from, what their background is, who they are, how you're more alike than different. That's our whole goal here on Earth. And um, so when he says those things, it just resonates with me. Right. And because I grew up with him, obviously that's part of, it's very deep in, you know, it's, it more than resonates. It's, it's part of who I am. But when he says it, I get that, you know, you know how you guys may hear something maybe on the show or someone else says something, you get that hit of that's it. Yeah. And so the aha, aha. So even through something like him watching swamp people, I have the aha, that's what we do. We don't watch the show and make fun of them. We don't watch the show and say, I would never be them. We watch the show and say, how interesting that's well, what we do. And leave yourself open to when the lessons are not when you listen to a podcast or, I mean, sometimes they are, or the lessons are not when you read a book, but you found a lesson when your dad was talking to you about swamp people. Yeah. So the lessons are everywhere. You just got to be open to them. Um, before we move on, can sure. I talk about our first partner? Please, go ahead. Uh, canvaspeople.com. They are our partners. And what are Canvas people? They have a website. And what you do is you take your pictures from your phone and your computer and you upload them to the website and they turn it from something on your phone or your computer into a beautiful canvas. So um, I know I tend to let cell phone pictures rot, real real good ones. Now, by now our, uh, our cameras on our phone take pretty good pictures. So bring that photo to life and put it on your walls at home in your office or give them as a gift. Father's Day is coming up, so that's a good excuse to uh, jump in. They do have a coupon code that they gave to us, and the coupon code is ZEN, Z-E-N. What you do is you you get one free 11 by 14 canvas. You just pay for shipping. So it drops the price down from 69 bucks down to zero. That's right, zero. So go to canvaspeople.com, type in ZEN for the coupon code, and get your free 11 by 14 canvas print. So thank you to canvaspeople.com. Awesome. And, you know, one thing I wanted to say, just because I was looking at something, because uh, I don't want to forget, is this Zen Talks thing that we're doing. Oh, or yeah. We're calling it Team Zen. Um, it's lovely. Oh, this week, so many people subscribed and I was like, ah, <laughs> because I wasn't working and I wanted to make sure I had a back and forth with them. Um, but hopefully now I've caught up with everybody and it's become a really wonderful community. So for those of you who are in this mindset of these things we're talking about, you know, how we're parenting, how we're treating each other, what we're giving to the world, how we're treating ourselves, how we're caring for ourselves and our families, um, this is a great group of people, and they're from all over the United States. A few people are international, and um, all you have to do is go to zenparentingradio.com and uh, click on – it's actually – it says Zen Talks Team Zen, mm-hmm. and you subscribe. It's $25 a month, and the things that we um, most focus on is we have three Zen Talks a month. This month we have four because I had to um, – not do one last month, but after my dad, because of my dad. And so we'd have these Zen talks, which are basically like podcasts, but people can ask questions. 
Um, also on video. Or, also on video. So it's interactive. So people, you know, Kathy and I come up with kind of a topic like we do for the podcast, but then uh, a lot of it is interactive of people question Q&A. So you can ask your question to us uh, on video and you can be on video too if you want to be or you don't have to be. And then we answer and we have a little back and forth and we usually get three or four questions every time we do it. So, yes. um, you know, it's, and the idea, whole idea is that we learn together as a community. Correct. So, because my, my guess is most of these questions that are being asked, they're not the only person, they're not the only people that are, that are asking those same questions. And that so. could benefit from the answer or at least a discussion. Right. Um, one of the things that when the team was smaller, like in that first couple of weeks, I was answering some questions via email and that's very hard for me to do now um, because there's so many people, but I, um, we created a Facebook page. Yeah. So it's a private page. So for the people who are on the team, if they have questions, I can, Todd and I both can answer in the best way possible, you know, with that, with the, what's allowed there. Um, and other people can interact too. Yeah, so we don't want it just to be us answering right. the questions. Like there's a lot of really smart, emotionally intelligent people on these calls and we can all learn from each other. Yes. And resources. I mean, the resources I've gotten from these people already. So, so it's a uh, team Zen, 25 bucks a month subscription. You can cancel at any time. So go to zenparentingradio.com and click on events and you'll find it. Great. So, um, Another thing I, I wanted to say is that, you know, a lot of the things that I talked about in the eulogy were that I had kind of two dads, like I had my dad up until 1999, and then he was different after that stroke and heart attack because he had some disabilities. And he also had some kind of grand awareness that he was never really able to articulate um, to me, but I did. he didn't have to because I saw it. My dad used to be kind of a, he was funny and everything and very kind, always kind, but he kind of had a serious tone to him when I was younger. Like he's an Italian guy and he always wears dark sunglasses and he didn't smile a lot and he was silly with us but you know he was a business guy right yeah. he was like I, I got things to do and um and after the stroke <laughs> he just smiled all the time he opened up it's like everything kind of dropped away. He was always open to you guys, but he opened up to the world. To the world. Yes, that's the thing. Because my dad, he was he was serious, but always kind, but kind of reserved. Mm -hmm. And then he was no longer reserved. He was really just smiling. Probably he got the, he got the crap scared out of him. And he's like, you know, we only Life. get one chance at this, so I'm not going to be so serious. Like... I think the lesson he learned from his sickness was I'm going to take life less seriously. Yes. And I'm going to be in it for the day yep. and not for the outcomes. Like one one story that uh, is my dad, when he finally was out of the hospital and my mom and dad and I, and I think my sister was there too, we went to a restaurant for the first time in like four months mm. and it was like this amazing experience and be like, oh my God, I can't believe we're all here again. Like yeah. having a meal. <laughs> my dad ordered fettuccine Alfredo and I was so this is a man with heart disease. frustrated. Right. Well, and then I just, we had just been in the ICU for three months yeah. and I was like, what is happening? And he was like, Kathy, very kindly. He was like, Kathy, just let me live. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he had no vices, you know, he didn't drink a lot. He didn't smoke. He didn't, he was so kind. He was good to people. He liked yummy fatty foods. He did. And he didn't eat them all the time, right. but he was like having that moment of just, just don't do that. Well, two things I want to say about that. One is, um, if this hospital stay that your dad had for three months in ICU wasn't enough for him to decide to eat healthy, there's nothing you or your no, mom or your sister I can learned do. That, yeah. So we tend as people to think, oh, well, if I just said this to this person, yeah. then I'll have control over their behaviors. And most often we don't. Right. Maybe you get a little bit of influence, but you have no control. And the other thing, and I said this to you yesterday in the car, is your dad, after he got sick in 1999, the, do the doctor's best guess was he'll live another five years because right. of the damage to his heart. Well, right. he lived another 17 years. Mm -hmm. And what I thought about was, you know, your dad made good food decisions and bad food decisions. He did both, yeah. He mm -hmm. did both. But the bad food decisions, think how awesome eating food is. <laughs> like, I love eating good cheesy pizza. Mm -hmm. And if he and if he would have taken all of these good decisions over the last 18 years, he may or may not have lived any longer. I don't think he did. Yeah. So this man gifted himself with 17 years worth of, you know, on occasion, really Enjoyment. unhealthy choices. But my goodness, eating food is such a pleasure. Well, and even those words like 
eating things that he enjoyed yep. because if you're enjoying it and you're doing it occasionally it's is it unhealthy mm-hmm. like that's I, I'm putting that out there's a question people who are way into nutrition may say yes it is it's a fact blah 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 but life is don't, life don't forget to live life yeah like you know sometimes I eat with people who are so hard to eat with because they're so like oh I can't have this on here and I have to have this dressing on this and, and, you or know, I can't go to this place. I can't go to this place and and some of that is because of issues that they have, you know, gluten intolerance and things that they, that are not sure. their fault. Um, and I'm kind of a pain in the butt. My kids, if they were here, would probably be laughing at me because not only am I, do I not eat meat, but I change every order. Yeah. So it takes me like 10 minutes to order. So I'm not saying it's it, but I still enjoy what I'm eating. Right. That it's when you're eating with people who are like punishing themselves while they're eating, right. that's really hard. So what my dad kind of taught me in that moment and over time was he is going to enjoy life and Carpe. he's going to, and he's not going to be an idiot. He's not going to have fettuccine Alfredo every day, mm-hmm. but he's going to be present. And that's something he wanted in that moment. And then the rest of the days, he it was very normal, you know, yeah. balanced meals. Sure. So that was really something that I thought was important. And and like Todd said, you know, my dad stuck around so much longer than anyone thought he would. You know, he, you know, the question is, well, what did he truly die from and my dad had congestive heart failure and he also had diabetes and at one point he had skin cancer and um he had um some kidney issues from the stroke so many things had gone yeah, wrong it was a laundry list but so but you didn't know this when you met my dad and you never knew he never talked about being a sick person and he never believed himself to be sick and we would always you know my sister and I would joke and talk about how he was so in denial of all these things, but he wasn't. He knew them. He wasn't stupid. We yeah. Sometimes we thought like, oh, he just doesn't know what he's doing. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> he, did. he absolutely did. And the word that I came up with that I thought was better than denial is is willingness. He had a willingness to live, and he had a willingness to be present for the day, and he had a willingness to appreciate life and smile rather than to be fearful of what came next. And he had a willingness to show up, and even when he felt so crappy, because my dad did not. Feel Feel good a lot of the time. He had some. There were there were true health issues that, you know. But he would show up. Like he even we had a birthday party for him a couple weeks ago. Just two weeks ago today, Todd. No, that was his actual birthday. It was two weeks and two days. Yeah, five days before he passed, we were in your sister's house at a birthday party, and he attended. And Todd and my dad. It was Todd's birthday too. So Todd and my dad had their birthday party, and he he didn't feel good that day. No. He didn't feel good the last year or two. And we have pictures of him smiling from ear to ear that day while he wasn't feeling good. Yes. Like he would, you know, but anyway, he just was willing and he, I would sometimes, he became like my, you know, my role model. He always was, but even more so because sometimes I would be like down, like, oh, I'm just not feeling a hundred percent or this doesn't work. And I'd be like, if my dad can do this, I can do this. And there's also self-care in there. He also slept a ton and he took care of himself. It wasn't like all out one way. I hope you guys are hearing the variation in his experience that it it was a willingness but also an acceptance. It was a I'm going to I'm going to go there and show up and it's also I'm going to I'm going to get my life slower. It was both at the same time and and he was a great role model for that. Well, and, and let me chime in. Um one thing, you know, your dad taught me so many different lessons, but probably the main lesson is exactly what you just said, which is this is a man who had every reason to complain, to be a victim, why me? Um, why don't my legs work? Why do I have to do all this hospitalization stuff? And I never once heard the man complain. Mm-mm. And I, it, it taught me like, oh my goodness, my quote unquote issues, challenges, problems that I think I'm going through are pale in comparison to what this man is. And yet he put a smile on his face every day and he led by example. He did. And, and you know, like Todd said, we were in and out of hospitals and rehabs for, you know, over the last 17 years. Todd was totally on this roller coaster with me. It's actually all you've known with my family because oh, yeah. you didn't get into my family till this happened. But, um, you know, that's just our life. We were, you know, and he, every hospital he was at was the best hospital. Every nurse was the best nurse. It was always the best doctor. Even the food, he'd be like, you know, their food at this hospital is the best. Glasses half full. He always believed he was in the right place at the right time. And he actually had this thing he called Kasani luck where he just believed that everything. That's your, uh, that's your uh, name growing up. That was his last name. 
Yes. That yeah. It. My my uh, my maiden name is Kasani, and so that's obviously my dad's last name. And part of the reason I kept my maiden name as my middle name was because of my dad. Sure. My dad had two daughters, and I just really wanted. He's it's just such a great last name. Yeah. I've always loved it, and I'm you know proud of him and my heritage and my family. And so Todd actually said that he said we could use your last name for the girls. Yeah, we could want. pull an Emilio Estevez thing. Yeah. Because Charlie Sheen, you know. That's right. And Emilio's last name was his mom's last name. Correct. And I would have been fine with naming one of all of our daughters. I I, I really didn't care that much. Yeah. So, but you said no. Well, I just decided to. It would have been confusing a little bit. Yeah. I stayed stayed with that traditional, um, that norm. Yeah. But I also got rid of my middle name and made Kasani my middle name. And professionally, I use Kathy Kasani Adams. Um, But anyway, I... My dad, he believed in when when he would talk about Kasani luck, it wasn't like he's going to get more than other people. He just viewed it as things will work out for me. So if I'm driving down the street and there's no parking spaces, he'd be like, someone's going to pull out. Someone Mm -hmm. will pull out. And it may not be right away, but eventually someone would because you know what? That's really what happens. And he trusted it. Instead of getting frustrated in the first block, it's like, don't worry. Don't worry. It'll be there for me. And he... That's very soothing to be around. What you know? did he do with lemons? <laughs> he used to eat the whole thing. Like he would take a, uh, like, you know, you get a lemon wedge. Lemon slice, yeah. A lemon slice. He would eat the whole lemon. Why? He thought, he believed, or and they truly are, because I put them in our smoothie, that they're really good for you. But and, not, we don't eat the peel. Well, did he eat the he peel? He did. And, you know, <laughs> in this day and age, it's not the smartest thing because of chemicals. But when he was growing up... Mm. The peel, you know, the peel and the skin is where all the nutrients yeah. are. So I, again, these are things, these are things I did not, I Question. wasn't like, dad, you can't eat that lemon because of chemicals. Like, right. There's a lot of Let other this guy, things. Yeah. We're not going to worry. <laughs> we're not going to focus on the lemon peels right now. Oh no. It was so funny. Um, so anyway, I, I just want to say that, um, again, you know, Thank you for listening uh, as I talk about my dad, because I could do 10 shows on my dad. There's so many stories. Um, but one of the things that was really meaningful to me that I, a quote that I, I've known for a long time, um, but I heard it again in yoga the day before the wake and I used it. And that is that, um, and before I say this, the quote is from Ram Das. Some of you may know Ram Das, And my dad introduced me to Wayne Dyer when I was 16. He, he and my mom went to something called Forum, and it was kind of like an early self-help kind of thing when I was 16. And they came home with all these tapes. And it was like Brian Tracy and Wayne Dyer and, and all of these like kind of people who aren't really, Wayne Dyer obviously passed away, but other people who aren't even in that game anymore. Yeah. Um, Dennis Waitley. Like, I just remember all these guys. And and I would listen to these tapes in my car. My dad's like, you'll love this. You'll mm-hmm. love this. And so he introduced me to all these people. And it just so happens that we Wayne, probably wouldn't be talking right now on this podcast had your dad not introduced Wayne Dyer. Yes. To and I have to give credit for my mom, too, because sure. my mom also was listening to these things. So it was the two of them. Um, and Wayne Dyer's uh, teacher was Ron Das and Richard of, Alpert. That's right. His name was Richard Alpert, um, which, sorry, I'm like totally going down. Another, you got to go pop culture. I got to go pop culture here is that if for you lost fans, mm-hmm. if you guys remember the character, Richard Alpert, who was the guy who looked like he had eyeliner yeah. and he was named after Ram Das yeah. because the some, creators were fans of, of his teaching of his and, teaching and also who he represented on the island yeah. and that yeah. kind of thing. But anyway, these are just, you know, Ram Dass's most famous quote is that we are all just walking each other home. And I found that so, so warming to hear again, because with my dad, since, since that heart attack, um, in 99, really what my mom and my sister and I had been doing was kind of just, um, helping him, Mm -hmm enjoy his life and whatever that looked like and being with him and showing up for him in whatever way he needed. And I don't mean at the, and then letting go of our lives. He didn't want us to do that. He would get frustrated sometimes when I'd be like, well, dad, I'll be there. And he'd be like, no, like one time we almost didn't go on vacation. And he's like, do not do that. But my mom really did make her life smaller for my dad Mm because she was with him every day and took care of him. My mom became a caregiver, really. Um, My sister definitely did. And I did in my own ways, too. Um, And we helped him get back to where he came from. And that's what we're all doing Mm -hmm. is we're helping each other 
in this time, because the thing about all of us is we're all going to die. And I know that sounds harsh when we hear it, but it, we don't know when and we don't know why, but we come in and we go out. We share that. Mm-hmm. And so we're all just with my dad. It just was more literal. We knew that we were walking him home in right. whatever way, if it be five years, 17 years, which it turned out to be. But there was a very it was a blessing because I knew that. How do I want to show up for my dad? What kind of relationship do I want to have with him? It was already very good, but how do I want to maintain that? Well, that quote is just so powerful because it kind of takes, at least takes me outside of my brain and, and drops me back into my heart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you say we're just walking each other home, it's more like the soul to soul versus yes. the role to role. Yes, yes. And I don't remember, there was another Wayne Dyer PBS special, but he talked about some circumstance where the guy's on his deathbed and he's like, oh, just give me six more months. And he's talking to God Mm -hmm. and God says, I gave you 75 years. That's right. What are you going to do with this last six months or last six weeks? So we can pull some learning lessons out of that. Like, you know, time flies. So squeeze as much out of it. And it's not about succeeding, quote unquote, success. It's let's walk each other home. Yeah. Let's do what engages in a relationship versus a bottom line. Yes. Or buying a car or whatever it is. Let's let's affect each other's lives positively with emotional intelligence. Yes. So. Yes, and that and that's all it is and that's the thing that people who are in chronic who are experiencing illness or who have been given a terminal um illness, you know, they've been told they only have a certain amount of time to live or people who have gone through depression or pain or lost someone, they have these realizations. I definitely have over and over and over again. And then sometimes we get lost and we don't live that way again. Mm. And that is the practice. That is not a shaming of ourselves. That is the goal is always get back to that is that what is the most important thing. And again, this connects, you know, this is my dad. So obviously it's my parent, but us as parents, like who are we in our kid's life? Are we the ones who tell them what to dream and tell them what to wear and tell them what to do? Or are we walking them through life? Mm. Not telling them how to live life, but I'm beside you. I am here. It's not telling them how to get home. Right. It's walking Walking them them home home. because they know how to do it. Yeah. And, and so it's a lot easier within someone who knows they're not going to be here very long or a parent who is dying or, you know, someone who's much, much older to envision that walking them home. But really we're doing that all the time Mm -hmm. because life is unpredictable. And, you know, there are, well, I don't need to go down that path of all those unpredictable things because sure. we've all had them. Sure. Um, and they can feel heavy and scary, and that's not my point. But can I raise a quick practical thing about sure. how to, you know, if somebody's listening and they got this far into the podcast, like one lesson that um, we get out of it, like there's always a social awkwardness that happens when one of your friends loses a loved one. Yeah. And I don't know if you got it out of Cheryl Sandberg's book, uh, the Option B book, but. You know how, you know, people with all good intention, including myself, I'd be like, let me know what I could do to mm-hmm, whomever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you had some insight on maybe a better way of going about it. Well, it actually did come from Cheryl's book, but I have heard this before. Cheryl just gave a really great option is that if somebody is struggling or you know they've lost somebody, that instead of putting the burden on them to tell you what to do, you just show up in some way. And maybe not at their house. They may not want to see you. Like I, my women's circle... Um, How did they support you, sweetheart? <laughs> they were so great. And your women's circle is a monthly group of women in the community that you guys get together and you chat it up and talk about something important. Yes, and they and they're my good friends yeah. and soul sisters and partner. That we're walking each other home in our yeah. own way. And um, they would just drop off like every day. There would be like a bag with something in it, and they didn't ring the doorbell or anything like that. Did they, they ask just, you what you needed? No, they just did it. And like you know, one of the women, she one day texted me and said, "I'm." At Starbucks, what do you want? You know, what's, what's the story that you told me? Somebody was like, um, "I'm going to be." You know, this was a friend who was in the hospital visiting somebody. You know, a parent in the hospital or whatever it was, and the directions were, "I'm going to be in the waiting room or the, the lobby of the hospital for the next hour. Mm-hmm. If you happen to find time, I'd love to give you a hug, and then I'll leave right away." Right. So that doesn't like. I'm here for you if you want it. And I'm going to sit here and I and you don't have to do anything right. because I'm content sitting here Correct. and just you knowing I'm here. Right. And, you know, I, I can't remember where that came from, but like my friend Jenny, her daughter was um, 
had an all, you know, she almost died. Her yeah. daughter did a few years ago, and I was spending some time, so much time thinking about her. And that's kind of what eventually happened. Is I'm like, I'm going to go to the hospital, and I am here in the cafeteria. Mm -hmm. And if you want a break, then come down. But I had my computer. Yeah, I'm no, like, I'm no, busy. No you don't have to take care of me. But just like you said, I would love to give you a hug. And I had this gift for her daughter, and her daughter's fine, by the way. Um, but it's not about that. And sometimes we don't get to give them a hug. Sometimes, like I really didn't need to see people. I, yeah. My life got you smaller. You wanted food to show up and flowers to show up and that was Well, enough. and I didn't even need that. Well, but it, you appreciated it. I appreciated it. it. Right. I wasn't like I'm expecting these things. It's just that the way that you help people is by just offering or like, you know, the thing in Sheryl Sandberg's book is she had a friend who said, who uh, called her and said, what don't you want on your hamburger? Because mm -hmm. I'm picking up your hamburger. So what don't you want on it? Like he was already going to bring it over. Yeah. And he wasn't going to stay and make her talk. He just was like, I'm bringing one. So what do, you, what do you want on it? And those are the kind of like really quick rather than tell me what to do. Because the person who's grieving, don't, they don't even know. I mean, I'm saying from experience, I, I don't want you to do anything. And I don't want you to feel put out. And I don't want you to tell me about your busy schedule. And I don't, I just, if you just... Leave me out of it. Yeah. You know, and, and that can be hard for someone to understand when they're not grieving. Sure. Um, and, and also being open to the fact that sometimes you do, you know, you also need to know that there are people who care. Yeah. And, but that comes across in many different ways. Right. Texts, emails, it doesn't always have to be gifts. Yeah. Um, so yes, I'm glad you brought that up because that is always a work in progress that not only is it a work in progress and a practice of grieving, because grieving is a practice in itself. Um, it's not a one-time shot, you know? Mm. Grief comes and goes throughout life and also supporting people who are grieving. Um, we sometimes, it, that's hit or miss too. Well, and we felt, you know, it's funny, people at the services, they're like, you know, obviously I lost an unbelievable friend and man and father-in-law and all that. And, uh, but just talk about feeling supported at the service. Mm -hmm. I mean, people who you don't think would show up, showed up and, you know, just these small random gifts mm -hmm. of thoughts, letters, notes, kindness. It mm -hmm. just, you know, it props you up. Now, the tricky part is, you know, a month from now, everybody goes back and... Right. Or no... Three days after. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't take a month for right. people to go back, and it, nor should it. Yeah. I don't mean that as a judgment. It just is what it is. And so that's why also as the grieving person, take in when someone says, let me help you or whatever, it, appreciate that for the moment because that doesn't continue to happen right. always. Um, but yes, people are lovely. And you know, something that I found a lot of the people who end up showing up or know what to say, they've had a loss. Yeah. You know, it becomes like one of my guy friends from high school showed up who I haven't seen in ages and he gave me a hug and he said, welcome to the club because mm. he had just lost his dad. Yeah. So if he hadn't had that experience, he may have still shown up. Sure. He's a good guy, but I also think he just understood. Yeah. And, um, and that's what we do for each other with our pain is we support other people who are having a similar pain. We reach out. If we have an experience with something, we reach out and say, I, I don't know what you're feeling, but I've been in that world. Yeah. So let me offer this or just what do you want on your hamburger yeah. <laughs> or, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, and that's, a you can't do it perfectly. You guys, I mean, I sure don't, you know, when I'm supporting people who are grieving, I, I, I do what I can and I continue to learn. Yeah. And as someone who is personally grieving, um, I think everyone has been just lovely and, um, uh, Todd's been fantastic and, you know, my girls are doing great. I mean, it just, you know, it, this is, there's not a lot of words for it. It just is what it is. Yeah. And you're not supposed to be able to encapsulate your feeling no. or this experience. No, I can't. You can't. I don't think I ever will. Uh, do you want to say anything else or are we good? No, I think I'm done. Um, but again, thank you for listening and um, and that's it. Um, a few quick uh, things. Uh, we do have two other partners that I cannot ignore. Otherwise, they'd get mad at me. Actually, they probably wouldn't. But uh, Dr. Kelly from the Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, she adjusts us twice a month. And if you live in the Chicagoland area, I invite you to check her out at chirotree.com. And then Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty. He does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, specifically the western suburbs. You can check him out at avidco.net. His number is 630-956-1800, avidco.net. And then uh, oh, I also do some coaching, coaching for guys. So if you're a guy, um, time to work on yourself. If you want to uh, figure out how to get to point B, we figure out where you are with point A, and we come up with a roadmap to get there. So go to ToddAdamsCoaching.com. 
Do you have anything that you want to? Well, I was hoping that uh, you would play a song sure. um, as we go out, and it's a Jimmy Buffett song. Okay. And it's called uh, Son of a Son of a Sailor. Mm, why is that important? Um, because my dad, uh, he um, sailed. He mm-hmm. was uh, he loved boats, and he was a sailor, and he loved Jimmy Buffett. And um, he, when he was in the hospital 17 years ago, really what brought him out of it was listening to Jimmy Buffett every yeah. day. Do you remember that? We had earphones on him. And Buffett's just, just a big part of my life mm-hmm. uh, growing up with my dad. So this reminds me of him. All right. Thank you. Out on the sea for adventure Expanding the view of the captain and crew Like a man just released from indenture As a dreamer of dreams and a traveling man I have chalked up many a mile Read dozens of books about heroes and crooks And I learned much both of their styles Son of a son Son of a son, son of a son of a sailor Son of a god, though the last time One step ahead of the jailer Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you, and we hope you'll join us again next time. If you are a fan of Zen Parenting Radio, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. This helps people find us. Or you can also just tell a friend about our show. Todd and I do speaking engagements about Zen parenting and self-awareness, so if you have an interested group or organization, contact us at kathy at zenparentingradio.com. That's Kathy with a C. Hey, next year's Zen Parenting Conference is March 2nd and 3rd, 2018. If you want to know more about this or any of our upcoming events, go to zenparentingradio.com and click events. If you want to know more about self-awareness or conscious parenting, pick up one of Kathy's award-winning books at zenparentingradio.com or on Amazon. If you're a guy, I have two resources for you. I coach guys. It's called Coaching for Guys. On the phone, Skype, or in person, we set goals together and come up with a plan to meet those goals, whether it's a relationship, parenting, career, time management, work-life balance, all that good stuff. Go to toddadamscoaching.com. And uh, I also have uh, the first session is free, so it's really no risk. Or if you're looking for a group of men to have authentic conversations with, check out thetribemensgroup.com. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link on our homepage. It won't cost you anything, but we get a small commission from Amazon. I want to give a special thanks to both of our partners, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care and Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support and keep on trucking.